Hello, friends. Yeah, I just wanted you to know I will be on uh, uh, my annual silent retreat, which is also a study leave for me. I'll be gone four days uh, as of Monday. And I've asked Daryl Arnold to preach next week. He's, of course, a good friend to our church. And to me, he's the pastor of Overcoming Believers Church in East Knoxville. And we've just been having a lot of good conversations about race. And I, uh, we were having lunch and I said, hey, you know, we love you. You love us. Why don't you just pray about it and come over and share anything you want uh, that you think God might want to say to us about race? So he will uh, through video. And uh, that one will be up next week. Appreciate your prayers while I'm away next week. What kind of church thrives in the middle of great challenges? Really, the book of Acts is uh, an extended answer to that question. The early Christians, when you think of it, they face about every challenge you can. Deadly persecution, internal conflicts, famine, disease, social instability, snakes, <laughs> uh, as they plant churches across the Roman Empire. And they not only survive, they flourish as they carry our beautiful gospel across the known world. And every once in a while in Acts, Luke will pause and give a little summary, kind of a little cameo of the inner life of the early church. And they kind of describe what the church was like internally in these difficult times. And uh, the passage that we're studying today is one of those uh, little snapshots. Well, the first mark of a church that thrives uh, amidst great challenges is unity. The believers are of one heart and soul. That's a Hebrew expression. We find it in 1 Corinthians, 1 Chronicles 12, 38, where all of Israel unites with a single mind. That's the same phrase, uh, to make David king. And that expression was also used kind of like a proverb to describe deep and true friendship. It's a very powerful image. Now, uh, the, the unity of the early church would soon be tested in Acts 6. Greek-speaking Jews will accuse Hebrew-speaking Jews of not really caring for um, their widows. And then in Acts 10 through 11, Peter will receive a vision uh, about sharing the gospel with the Gentiles. And uh, he shares that with the elders in Jerusalem, and they become infuriated, and a massive conflict erupts in the church. But one of the lessons in both Acts 6 and then in Acts 15 is that the early church worked hard to preserve her unity. They were able to work through these conflicts that could have splintered them apart. Paul, obviously uh, a church planner who was involved in many of these new churches, knew how hard it was to maintain this unity. And so in his letters, he would often refer to the unity that they have in Christ. Um, Ephesians 4.4, 4, he says, Remember, the basis of your unity is that there is one body and one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And then he reminds the Corinthians, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. Now that, that theological unity, that doctrinal unity that is true about us because of who we are in Christ, it's 
it's really hard to keep, isn't it? And I don't know about you, but it feels harder today than, um, well, really ever before. Um, we're seeing headlines like divorces skyrocket after lockdown or domestic violence calls increase as restrictions linger. Uh, I, I find just personally that I'm more critical, more judgmental, less compassionate, more irritable, um, even on, on normal days. Well, one reason for this, and I don't think I'm alone, others have shared with me that they're experiencing uh, something similar. Somebody said the woods are just real dry right now. It seems like uh, a match can set them off. And one reason may just be the fact that we can't be together very much um, and we're relating through screens. The Wall Street Journal ran a story yesterday with the headline, Companies Start to Think Remote Work Isn't So Great After All. And one corporate leader complains that problems that took an hour to solve in the office now stretch out for hours and workers appear less connected. Another CEO says this is not going to be sustainable. I'm not making an argument about remote work. I'm just saying people are starting to identify that this is fraying our relationships, this kind of connecting. You know, I wonder if another reason for... Um, some of the relational dis-ease uh, among the world today is it, it seems like uh, when we do bump into each other, even on small things, the issues are connected to much broader narratives that really address big questions about what it means to be a good citizen or a free person or to live in a just society. And so on the surface, it might seem like a small thing that we're irritated over, but it's hooked to this much bigger issue. And so all this uh, power and energy seems to be unleashed when we talk about it. Well, Paul knew about this. And so he, he doesn't just tell the early churches, hey, you've got unity. He tells them to work for it. Philippians 2, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So churches that thrive in difficult times work hard on their unity. And I, friends, I just think in a time like we're living in, we're going to have to work harder than ever on maintaining our unity. Um, I think just real practically, it means taking more time to invest in our relationships, to, um, to follow up when we think something's wrong, um, listen, how we know all this, ask good questions, don't make assumptions, forgive, F figure out the last place that you were when you agreed and work back to there, start over again. I think that's how we can uh, work to preserve our unity as fall. Well, we'll talk about this in more in a minute, but one of the natural expressions of this unity is is this wonderful interdependence with possessions. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. Now, a second mark of a church that thrives in the face of great challenge is powerful preaching. And with the great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. 
And the authorities had forbidden this. These brave men continue to preach the gospel of, of the resurrected Christ. And uh, if, if all the sermons and acts are any kind of uh, testimony, that involved a lot of scripture showing that Christ was the Messiah and their own personal experience of uh, the risen Christ in their life. Now, wh what does this look like today? We're in such a different context. And uh, every webinar, webinar that I watch on communication today suggests that people are exhausted by screens and anything online. And so any kind of preaching like this especially online, needs to be simple and short. And believe me, I get this. So many people have said I'm on screen all week. I just can't bear to watch another one. I get it. I understand. I'd much rather be with you. Valid point. But I, I also wonder if now more than ever is when the church does need powerful preaching that combines careful exposition of the scripture with the, the personal experience of the risen Christ. You know, I I think kind of the, the word or the, the thought now is that younger people, secular people, just simply will not stand for longer sermons. Is that something from a bygone era? Uh, yet some of the churches that I know of that are flourishing in our world's most secular cities, um, New York, Melbourne, London, Portland, uh, some of them are led by young preachers who preach spellbinding long sermons. One I heard recently was an hour to uh, sanctuaries packed with millennials. So um, I think an argument can be made that in a time like this, we might need deeper preaching and doctrine and not less. But it is true that very different contexts, and we have many different ways to preach the gospel today. Uh, there were just a few uh, apostles in the Jerusalem church, and of course they were unique uh, once in a life, once ever apostles. But my sense is that God is raising up little a apostles to share the gospel today, especially through social media. My perspective on social media has changed greatly during the pandemic. I, I still have great concerns about its downsides, um, but I'm also listening as God's people tell just beautiful gospel-shaped stories on Instagram that just kind of they're whispers of eternity. Uh, and I'm seeing gifted digital apostles testify in a very subtle, winsome way about, um, I guess we could say, their resurrected life on Facebook. Now, um, you know, I've often said, um, and this is not a full retraction, it's a partial retraction. I have said, nobody changes another person's mind on Facebook, and all you're doing is speaking to people that the algorithm has linked you with that believe just like you do, and at the end of the day, all you're doing is fueling the fires of rage that are threatening to incinerate our country. I believe that that happens a lot on Facebook. I still do. And I really do encourage you to think about before you post, why are you posting? But here's where I've been wrong. I also believe now that many of you are sharing the gospel on Facebook. Maybe not in a preachy sort of way, but with the kind of questions you ask and the poems you post and um, uh, the dialogue that you have and the way that you have it, you are uh, subtly pointing the way or hinting at a, a God-haunted universe that uh, makes people want to know more. I think some of you are 
reaching out to an audience that uh, would never ever come to church. And so uh, I, I want to bless you in that and um, encourage you to lead the way. We need more apostles testifying to the resurrection through social media. Well, a third mark of churches that thrive in difficult times is grace. And great grace was upon them all. Uh, the, the church just has a profound experience of grace. Now, sometimes that Greek word charis is used theologically to describe God's riches at Christ's expense, God's foreness towards us that's manifested on the cross. But other times, the biblical writers use the Greek word in a very different way as kind of um, a life lived in grace, grounded in grace, uh, energized by grace, guided by grace. It's kind of like grace is the operating system. Here are two examples. Luke says of the child Jesus, And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. And then Luke says this of Stephen, uh, and Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. So the early community lived in grace. They had tasted God's grace, and so they extend grace to one another with radical generosity. You know, have you ever noticed that when you're a part of a Christian community, if you're in it for a while, you can... Just kind of get a feel of the spirit of the place, the soul of the place, kind of the intuitive, um, we might say, vibe of the place. Um, you know, in the book of Revelation, Jesus sends letters to the seven churches, and he sends it to the angels of the seven churches. And some scholars think the angel represents kind of the spirit of the church. And churches do kind of take on a spirit. And some Christian communities don't have um, a spirit of grace. It, it, it's more a spirit of judgment, of suspicion or mistrust, fear, scarcity, uh, holding on to resentments. Other Christian communities enjoy more of this, a spirit of grace. There's love, acceptance, patience, kindness, mercy, trust, forgiveness, reconciliation, hope, and abundance. And uh, th th this is kind of the hard part about this is there seems to be, because we live in a fallen world, kind of a law of spiritual entropy that if left on its own, communities of grace um, decay into communities of judgment and law and, um, and legalism. It just seems to, unless you work on it, it goes, it goes that way. There needs to be a constant returning to the ways of grace. And so... You might think about kind of the community you're doing life with right now and a part of, and you know, what's the spirit of it right now? Is it is it a gracious spirit? Well, the fourth mark of a church that thrives in the face of great challenges is generosity. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Roman society kind of worked like this. Handful of people had a lot of property. Very small, land-owning, middle class, maybe 
And then just about everybody else was what we would consider to be very poor. Um, the Roman Empire had very few financial safety nets um, other than bread and circuses. Um, so financial ruin came very quickly and harshly for many. And one of the really distinctive characteristics of the early church was that they cared for their own, uh, motivated by grace when needs came up. Uh, they liquidated property and um, took care of the need. Uh, Princeton historian Rodney Stark uh, said that this radical generosity was one of the main factors that drew Romans into um, the church. And this really bothered the emperors of Rome. Uh, Rodney Stark writes this, In a letter to a pagan high priest, the Roman emperor Julian wrote, I think that when the poor happen to be neglected and overlooked by our priest, the impious Galileans, that's the Christians, observed this and devoted themselves to benevolence. And then he wrote in another letter, the impious Galileans support not only their own poor, but ours as well. And everyone can see that our people lack aid from us. So he's bemoaning the fact that the Christians are just doing a much better job caring for the, the needs of the people than pagan religions are. Paul Johnson, um, in a book called A History of Christianity, he says, Christians created a miniature welfare state in an empire which for the most part lacked social services. In other words, he means within the church itself, that became where most of the needs were met. You know, Today, we don't live in the Roman Empire. Uh, our government does provide social services, not the same situation, but as we know, it's incredibly easy for life to still fall apart. So what, what can we learn um, from the example of the Jerusalem believers? Well, you know, last week, you know, I was talking about um, praying for spring and preparing for winter, the idea of let's really hope that things are better fast, but let's be prepared if they don't. Well, let's, uh, in, in kind of in the vein of that, suppose we do have a prolonged recession and the economy gets worse and people lose jobs and can't pay mortgages and rent and health care and all that stuff. What would it look like to apply this principle to us? Um, well, generous people in our church have uh, given to a COVID relief fund and a health care fund for just such needs. And I just am very thankful for everyone who's given to that. Um, if things really get messy, we might have to increase that. Right now, we seem to be okay. Uh, it might mean just asking, do I have resources that I can free up to help others in this crisis? Um, do I have some stock that I could sell or a boat that I could sell or um, a car I'm not using or a room in my home? You know, it, it, it's interesting. I, I want to be gentle how I say this, but the way that that you all responded in COVID is remarkable, and there's very generous giving to the COVID relief fund. Um, as of today, uh, nobody's applied, and I hope that means that um, we're all doing well financially, and by God's grace, hopefully many of us are weathering this okay. Uh, but I suspect that it's also that we're Americans, and it's just really hard to ask for help. And the one thing we never talk about is financial need. Um, so I want to say to you, um, 
I hope we avoid any kind of long-term economic downturn, but the only way this works is if you're in need, you, you ask for help. And of course the church can't meet all the needs, but can meet some. And so even now, if you have been hurt financially in this, um, um, apply for a grant from the COVID Relief Fund. Your brothers and sisters want to help you. Well, the final mark of a church that thrives in the face of uh, difficult situations is leadership. Thus, Joseph, who was called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Barnabas is going to reappear, becomes a major leader in the book of Acts, and a gifted evangelist and a partner to Paul. Here is where he first emerges in the community as a leader, and uh, it seems like he kind of goes first. He uh, sees this need, and he makes a very sacrificial gesture to sell some property that he owns, and gives it to the church. And, you know, that is a mark of, of a healthy church, a church that thrives in difficult times. It's, it's, uh, they've got really good leaders, and uh, like many of you, very thankful for our leaders. Uh, they inspire by their example. They show the way. They model the values. They, they sacrifice first. So may God give us more of them and encourage those of you who are leading and who knows, maybe, maybe some of you will just be inspired to creative acts of generosity that can lead the way for us. Well, I'd like to just pray a benediction from this passage over us now, my friends. And uh, uh, I do miss you. Father, as we face the difficult challenges of our day, make us of one heart and soul, unify us. Help us have those hard conversations. Help us put others' needs above our own. Empower the preaching of the resurrected Jesus, whether from this strange pulpit or through the digital pulpits of social media. Help us live in grace, grace from you, grace towards others. Stir up radical generosity among us. Help us to admit our needs when we have them. Help us to live and give from abundance and not scarcity. May it really be said of us, there was not a needy person among them. And thank you for our leaders who inspire us with their generosity and encouragement and raise up more.